Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And good morning. Welcome. Dirt Radio here with you this morning at our new time of 9.30 on Tuesday. I'm John. We're Friends of the Earth. And, well, you can find us on foe.org.au. And uh, we've got a couple of very interesting interviews coming up on the show. Recently, when I tell people about a plan to allow fracking to start in the Northern Territory, they tend to give me a kind of puzzled look, uh, which, excuse me, I'll just, I've just got to do something here. Yeah, I've, I've just had to turn the phone off. I Yeah, anyway, let me get back to where we're going here. And uh, when I do tell people about uh, fracking, possibly fracking in the Northern Territory, they tend to give me a, a bit of a puzzled look which is usually accompanied by something like, what? Or, I had no idea. Jimmy Cocking is the director of Arid Lands Environment Centre in Alice Springs, and he's involved in a campaign to get city folk like me and like the people I know, not just to be aware of the possibility of fracking in Northern Territory, but to actually take some action to stop it happening. Good morning, Jimmy. You're the director of the Arid Lands Environment Centre. And uh, what I've been reading about is you've been operating, the centre's been going for about four decades. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the centre, just just to give us very briefly a, a, a bit of an overview of what you do. Well, it's Arid, Arid Lands Environment Centre, Alec. It's been around since the late 70s. It was incorporated in 1980. Uh, it started off a bunch of scientists and concerned individuals who felt that the government at the time wasn't doing their job in protecting the environment and needed a, an independent voice. And so they set up a not-for-profit charity and started doing some advocacy. Like at the time, there were issues with mining in national parks and grazing in national parks. So this is uh, you know, around the same time when there was land rights was really starting to come out in the Northern Territory issues of, of mining and, and legacy waste that has been happening and so and also just a, a greater awareness of climate change so we started focusing a bit more on on our sustainability and community resilience and so I've been here for just over nine years this last week and congratulations uh, thanks it's been a, it's been mostly a pleasure um, but it's a it's a really interesting organization we're the only environment center for 1500 kilometers north or south uh, and up to, you know, 2,000 kilometres east-west. So we have to cover a fair bit of ground. And at the moment, we've got a range of different campaigns. We've got an anti-fracking or frack-free 
Alliance campaign. We're campaigning against the, the gas pipeline. Don't yeah. Look look don't don't for uh for, for don't don't jump ahead because uh, no, no, that's got, exactly I've, what I wanted to talk about. We've also well, we've also been in, integral in the campaign to stop the nuclear waste dump at Muckety. Like we hosted the campaigner who campaigned on that. Uh, we've done a lot of climate campaigning here, and also just you know we've just recently uh, with the change of government here in the Northern Territory. Our efforts have been recognised and they've actually restored funding to our organisation to enable us to employ a policy officer and community engagement officer so that we can actually be on top of the mining issues and development issues that we face out here and being able to put in submissions and be engaged in in those processes. So we're, we're a great little environment centre. We've got a community garden, so we have to cater to such a wide range of audiences because we are the only mm. environmental organisation in our vision is healthy futures for arid lands and people so that keeps it quite broad and let's go back to that fracking issue which you did mention earlier the company that uh, is planning this is uh, a company called Jamina and they want to start building a pipeline as you've mentioned what do you know about this company and tell us about the pipeline where is it going and what's the what's it supposed to be piping yeah well back in we had the previous uh, country liberal party uh, government under uh, Adam Giles was uh, arguably one of the worst governments that Australia has actually had in uh, its short four-year term. It did a lot of damage uh, here, uh, both culturally and, and uh, economically. And so what um, what they did in 2014 was they opened up the idea for a pipeline to either go uh, for east-west, uh, west-east across to Mount Isa from Tennant Creek or a north-south pipeline going from Alice Springs to Moomba uh, in South Australia in Aminka. And so what uh, what they did is they opened up the tender and then they awarded it to Gemina back in 2015. Gemina is an Australian company, and I'm saying that with talking marks to my fingers. Uh, it's 60% owned by China State Grid, which is a state-owned, one of the largest companies in the world, uh, and Singapore Power, which is a state-owned uh, Singaporean electricity company. So they own a lot of energy generating assets and and also distribution assets around the country. It's like they're worth that nine billion or something from memory. And uh, so they've got, you know, offices in Melbourne and Sydney and Canberra and and, uh, and Brizzy and they have been starting to work towards getting a pipeline built. So what's happened recently, so they got the got the go ahead back in twenty fifteen and then they've been going through getting their environmental impact statement done, which they had done uh, by the second half of last year, uh, and that I outlined because ultimately the pipeline has been put out there to sell excess gas that the NT government owns through its state-owned uh, power and water corporation. They uh, bought more gas than they needed to power Nullumboy, which was a um, up in the top end, and that ended up going onto the wayside. So they had an excess of gas and they needed to sell it. So. They managed to get a customer, Incitec Pivot, in Mount Isa to buy it. We don't know what price or anything like that. Mm. All we do know is from media releases is that Incitec Pivot is set to save $55 million a year over 10 years through this deal, through buying Territory Gas. And so uh, there's been a report done on this by uh, IEFA, the, the uh, International Energy... Mm. Uh, oh, sorry, I can't remember their name, IEFA, but they've, they've dubbed it a white elephant and that somebody's yes. getting ripped off, most likely Territorians. And so this pipeline, while before they even got their uh, environmental approvals, which they still haven't got mm. from the uh, NT government yet, 
they have stockpiled hundreds of kilometres of pipe north mm. of Alice, uh, north of Tennant Creek. Right. So they've been, uh, as I've been going through, applying to clear uh, the area of 622 kilometres of 30 by 30 metres for the pipeline mm. right of way. Mm. Uh, they've also, you know, claimed that they had Aboriginal traditional owner sign off when they didn't. They they have now since uh, negotiated a, a deal, uh, and the traditional owners are gagged from speaking about that deal. And so, mm. yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of uh, things going issues on. Issues with this company already, and they haven't even started building it yet. Right, and um, look, it, it is. <clears throat> excuse me. It's a. It's a. It goes uh, to six hundred and twenty kilometers, as I as I understand it. It's going from Tennant yeah. Creek to Tennant Creek Mount to Mount Isa. Isa. Sorry. Yeah, and, yeah, and to Mount Isa, and, and uh, apparently it's going to be eight hundred million dollars uh, worth of investment in the infrastructure there. So they say. So. Now I want to I want to uh, throw a little bit of a uh, may, maybe it's a bit of a cliche catchphrase at you. It's uh, think global, act uh, think local, act global, and um, I'm thinking about the pipeline in terms of uh, I guess the opposition to it's operating on two levels. The local is as you've described what's been happening on the ground, and the global basically a kind of world worldview picture. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Because as I understand it, there is a fair bit of opposition to this pipeline. Yeah, there's a fair bit of opposition. So in Tennant Creek, so that's 500 kilometres north of Alice, we've been up there uh, two times now to talk to the community up there in the last uh, four months. Uh, The first time we went up, we showed some films and talked to a range of people about the issues around climate change and fracking. And Because even though this this, uh, project is... Uh, transporting conventional gas in the first instance. In its environmental impact statement, it said its uh, economic justification is to open up the territory to onshore gas development, a.k.a. fracking. So we've uh, been looking, you know, what's happened in the States with the fracking examples, and we're talking about shale gas, not coal seam gas here. And so we've been up there uh, engaging with the local community and with the Trish owners up there as well. And the first time we're up there... Uh, we actually found out uh, on the last day before we left that the next day a whole range of executives from China and Singapore are actually flying into Tennant Creek for a big event. And so we managed to uh, get a local group mobilised and they went and protested at this event that they were having, which uh, really um, bewildered the, uh, the the visitors. And as a result of that, that's kind of just demonstrated that the, the red carpet's not just being rolled out for this mob. And what's happened... You know, in, the, in the Northern Territory, and particularly in Tennant Creek, is that there's been a you know, starvation of of development uh, of any description for places like Tennant Creek. So when somebody comes up and says we're going to build a massive project, the people are falling over themselves in some, you know, particularly those that are um, mm. concrete companies and others to make sure. it happen. And so every day in Tennant Creek, there's eight uh, truckloads of pipeline being transported through town to create this sense of a fait accompli. Mm, mm, and mm. thankfully, uh, we went down to Melbourne and spoke to a group down there at Friends of the Earth about the uh, the issue and about what was going on here and gave people the context of, mm. of, the, of the campaign to uh, stop the fracking pipeline. And we probably had about 20 or 30 people turn up. Uh, and, you know, I was hoping for more, obviously, but um, but it was just all the right people. And, and as, a, as a result of that, 
just last, or back on the 6th of April, we had people protesting at the front of Gemini offices, uh, both in uh, Melbourne and Sydney, and particularly in Melbourne with the big white elephant there. Mm. And, mm. and uh, it was just fantastic to see and really empowering for people here to see that we've got friends in the South, you know, that it's not just uh, yep. a campaign where we're here fighting by ourselves. But, Jimmy, uh, I want to... I want to let you know that I was th- I was there wearing one of the uh, protective white suits. Oh, excellent! <laughs> and uh, yeah, look. Um, and what the, was the vibe like? So the video was. It was really yeah. Was it was really great. it was extremely well attended. I have to say, um, and also there was a huge amount of foot traffic uh, uh, because it's right right down in the in the CBD, right where lots and lots of people are getting off the train. Oh, that's great. So a lot of people. Walk by, you know, lots of people just sort of ignored it, but at least they were watching and seeing what was going on. So I, I think people, the people that organized it also felt that it was a, a very successful action at the time. And th- th- actually, this is sort I guess, where, where I'm coming uh, to in terms of questions is in relation to what's, what's been going on, and we're pretty far away from you um, in terms of geography and probably even in terms of, you know, our kind of way that we look at things what what can folks do in the city that that can help you or i mean how do how do we get involved and 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 how do we get the get the word out well the best way is to to get educated on the issue so there are some websites uh out there there's the don't frack the territory.org.au it's all all one word and that uh, gives a good understanding of the issue of what's going on here because what we're calling for uh, since you know we can't be having any more uh, fossil fuel infrastructure, if we want to want to stop runaway climate change, we're campaigning on this issue on the basis of climate. But also, you know, this frac- this pipeline is an enabler of fracking here. So we're calling for a ban on fracking, similar to what you guys in Victoria have managed to uh, mm. to secure out of your government. So at the moment, we've got a fracking inquiry uh, running. At the moment, they're taking submissions until the 30th of April, and uh, it's a good way of being able to get uh, across the issue, and you can go to frackinginquiry, uh, all one word, .nt.gov.au, and there's some great videos there of the submissions that are being made by Territorians, but also you can see what, you know, the Halliburtons and the Origin Energies and, and that are saying as well, so it's a good way to get educated there. And also to take the pipeline pledge, which uh, is uh, don't frack the territory, uh, .lockthegate.org.au backslash pipeline, and that's, uh, that's a list that we're building to be able to let people know, because any day now the uh, NT government is going to approve it, we, uh, we believe. And so we're mm. racing for that and getting people ready to, to make, some, make some noise about it. And I think the key is, is what we'd be looking for, particularly in places like Victoria and others, to, uh, to talk to their local uh, representatives, particularly in Victoria, where it's a Labor government, uh, and get them to mention it to the NT government as well because we've got a beautiful country up here that's relatively untouched it's uh you know song lines and people are still singing the songs up here that the the the, uh, the landscape is still intact and so we want to keep it that way we don't want it to be a fracking gas field and we want to make sure that we we've got a, a long-term sustainable future here rather than uh you know where our where our groundwater of which 90% of the northern territory mm-hmm. is dependent on groundwater and 85% of the Northern Territory is under fracking exploration licences. So we've got we've got a moratorium at the moment, thankfully. The government mm. paused fracking, but this pipeline will be enabling infrastructure 
for fracking. And so we can sort of see it playing out that the pipeline will mm, start getting mm. built before the inquiry's uh, done its job. And it's just going to create this push by industry to allow fracking in the NT. And we're, we're resolute in, uh, in stopping that. And we'll be looking for allies and friends across the country to help us do that. Look, uh, it's been great talking to you. And we'll put that information that you've given us on our website as well. So all the best with your campaign. And thanks for being on Dirt Radio this morning, Jimmy. No worries. One more plug is just to look up uh, alec.org.au, don't frack the outback, is another one as well. And, and the hashtag no NTPL when you're in social media. But thanks, for, thanks so much for the opportunity and uh, looking forward to, to working with all your mob on the ground. All the best. Thank you. Talking there with uh, Jimmy Cocking, and he's the director of the Arid Lands Environment Centre in Alice Springs. And as you heard, he's talking about the Northern Gas Pipeline, which might open up the Northern Territory to fracking a dubious economic value and potentially huge environmental damaging project. We're Dirt Radio. We'll be back. 3CR presents a great night of entertainment at Bella Union, Thursday the 27th of April. Jonathan Alley will MC a stellar lineup, including... 3CR DJs Kate and Susie spinning tracks for a lazy Thursday night. Fiona Scott Norman's one-woman show, The Needle and the Damage Done. Ian McFarlane's book launch of the Encyclopedia of Australian Rock and Pop Music. And an unleashed version of Super Flutie's Free Association radio show with Clem Basto, Casey Bonetto, Scott Edgar and Christos Chorkas. That's Saturday, the 27th Thursday, the 27th of April, Bella Union at Trades Hall. Doors open at 6.30. For tickets, go to bellaunion.com.au or at the door if not sold out. This is a 3CR benefit. So see you there. This is David Rovix and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Remember the federal government's National Wind Farm Commission? It was set up by Tony Abbott after what appeared to be a massive uh, set of health problems connected with living near wind turbines. The commission began operating in October 2015. Well, the Wind Farm Commission, which, by the way, the commissioner, the Wind Farm Commissioner, which uh, who does a job at the moment, part-time, he gets $205,000 a year salary. The commissioner has just tabled his first report. Simon Chapman, who's a longtime public health researcher and advocate, and is best known for his critical work on the tobacco industry, has been turning his attention to this report to see if we taxpayers are actually getting value for money. Hello, Simon. Good morning. Nice to be with you. Thanks for taking the time. And uh, the claim was made, and uh, I'm using a quote here, that there have been massive problems with wind turbines. Now, you looked at the the commissioner's report, and you found this was just not the case. Well, yeah, the, uh, the commissioner uh, put up the shingle, uh, as you say, uh, in late 
2015 and um, basically said, you know, we're open for uh, open for business. If you have complaints, uh, concerns about wind farms uh, anywhere in Australia, get in contact. And uh, in the first 14 months that they were open, they received uh, only 90 uh, complaints. And 42 of those were not even about wind farms uh, that uh, had been built yet. <laughs> so the people were complaining about fears that they might have into the future. Um, but of the um, 46 complaints that they received about existing wind farms, um, uh, most of them were about uh, just nine of 76 wind farms which are around Australia. Um, they didn't say which ones they were, but um, if they're anything like uh, the situation when I did my study, which was published in an international journal in 2013, uh, it would be wind farms where you've got the anti-wind farm lobby uh, concentrating their efforts to frighten people and get them scared and getting getting them to sort of think that uh, symptoms that they might have, which could be caused by anything, uh, are being mm. caused by the wind farms. You, this is something you, you've uh, mentioned or in, in the discussion is um, there, and you've observed this from the, from the commissioner's report, there's, there were no complaints in Western Australia and there were no complaints from Tasmania. Why, yeah. why is this important for us to understand? Well, people who, who argue that there is a direct uh, cause and effect relationship between um, exposure to wind farms and uh, the symptoms of health problems that you get, um, have a, a really hard time explaining why it is that the great majority of wind farms uh, all over the world have never attracted a single complaint from anybody. Um, some people mightn't like the look of them and might, you know, want to express that, but I'm talking about noise or, or health complaints. And it's true in Australia as it is internationally that... Um, the great majority of wind farms don't attract any complaints at all. And in Australia, in the whole of Western Australia, where there are quite a large number of wind farms, uh, and in Tasmania, where I think there are at least two or perhaps three, um, there haven't been any complaints ever recorded about those uh, those farms. Now, the, those opponents would say, oh, well... Um, it, it's really, it's like, we shouldn't be surprised at that because it, it's like seasickness or, you know, motion sickness. Uh, not everybody gets it. And so people who are not getting uh, ill when they're being exposed to wind turbines, uh, we shouldn't be surprised at that. They're just not susceptible. Well, that, that argument falls on its face when you start thinking, well, how, how come there's nobody mm. in the whole of Western Australia or Tasmania or... Mm. Um, you know, who is susceptible, so-called. Mm. Another thing that uh, you commented on in relation to the commissioner's report is you you make a distinction between complaints and complainants. Mm. And again, why is this important for us to understand this report? Well, because um, we know from uh, overseas experience that um, not just with wind farms, but people who complain about things like, you know, airport noise or, you know, highway construction or whatever, that it's very often um, a small number of people who who are serial uh, complainants and so that they will put in um, sometimes hundreds if not thousands of complaints 
over a period. And so I was curious as to how many of the 90 um, were, in fact, um, put in by the same people. But that's subsequently been clarified. Uh, the commissioner has made a statement uh, to a Fairfax journalist over the weekend um, that, in fact, uh, the 90 does correspond to complainants, not complaints. Uh, and, in fact, there were, there were people who uh, put in multiple complaints, but... Um, they've only been counted as one. Mm. And this, the point you're making is that, in fact, uh, since October 2015, there's been, you would have expected a huge number of, of uh, complaints. In fact, there hasn't been that, that number coming in or that it w- wouldn't indicate there's a huge problem. Oh, well, that's right. I mean, we, we've got to realise that there have been, uh, in the last five or six years, there have been three Senate inquiries into wind farms uh, plus an inquiry, a state inquiry in South Australia and one in New South Wales Parliament. And um, so it's, it's hard to imagine or hard to think that there, there is any other problem um, where we've had such uh, parliamentary attention to an alleged problem. And you would think that with all that attention, uh, if they were focusing their, uh, you know, their interest on it, it would, would have to be a big problem. Mm. Well, this, this report, basically should be you know, a huge embarrassment to those people who lobbied uh, to get um, this uh, Complaints Commission set up. Um, you know, they, as I said, they, they put up their shingle and, and very, very few people walked mm. through the door and said, you know, we've got a problem. And uh, what, just very briefly, what, what do you think should be happening now? Because my understanding is, is it's costing us taxpayers huge amounts of money for this, this commission to be running. Yeah, well, the the commissioner is uh, works, I think, three days a week and has a salary of two hundred and four thousand uh, dollars. There are three staff. There are office costs, and uh, so I don't know what the total cost of the whole show is, but uh, it would be substantial. And um, so, essentially, you know, we, we read every day. Not a day goes by when we're not talk, we're not reading about you know government waste. Well, this is probably a very good example of it, um, but. Um, it's, it's also been put to me by colleagues recently that um, prior to this, the wind companies were the ones who um, were being constantly attacked by the anti-wind farm lobby, and they were having to invest, you know, significant amounts of um, uh, time, money, and effort mm. into uh, responding to these. And now that we've got a government. Um, if you like, subsidy for handling these complaints. Mm-hmm. This might actually be um, a good way of allowing um, the wind companies to, to get on and, uh, and see and, and continue the rollout of wind farms around the country. Simon, thanks very much for being on Dirt Radio this morning, and we appreciate your time. Uh, great pleasure. Thank you very much. Talking there with Emeritus Professor in Public Health at the University of Sydney, Simon Chapman, and he's been unpacking the National Wind Farm Commission's just-released annual report. His latest book is called Smoke Signals. It's a collection of his best writing on health issues and policy writing. We're Dirt Radio, and guess what? We've got to get out of here. We'll be back next week.